Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. So we're in the middle of Romans, for the beginning of Romans. And I've wanted to teach on this book for a long time, and so we're doing it. And we're going to take Romans in chunks because I don't want to teach on it all year long. So we're going to, but I do want to, we want to start hammering it. So we're going to do Romans for the rest of us. We're going to do a section this summer, next summer, and then the following summer. So it's, Romans is big. So we're going to do three summers where we're going to like just chunk out going every verse. There's times when you need to get in your Bible and read every verse. And there's times when pastors need to preach every verse. There's a lot of verses we want to just skip over and go, I don't even know what that means. There's a lot of verses we're going like, I don't even want to say that word out loud. And you'll see, I delegated some of those passages to other teachers on the team. There's one title of our message. Next week, Mark's preaching. This is, a, this is the, probably the scariest chapter in the Bible. That's the title of the message. This is a scary chapter. He's going to preach that. Because I get to make the titles, right? So I give them to them. And then uh, there's another one that's called uh, Jews, Gentiles, Circumcision, and You. I don't want to preach that. I give that to Rick. <laughs> oh, so fun. Okay, so I'm doing the easy one today. I'm pitching a softball right across the middle of the plate, really easy. And we're talking about the power of the gospel. Woo! All right. <laughs> all right, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. That's all in the Bible. I'm not making that stuff up. It's in there. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen or called. This word means chosen or called by God to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Later on, Paul actually refers to this letter as his gospel. Isn't that cool? So you know we have four gospels. If you read the Bible and you know anything uh, or some things about the, the Bible, there's Old Testament and New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are what they call the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are accounts of men that actually walked with Jesus and saw his life and they watched it and then they accounted it and they tell kind of four different perspectives that has a lot of really cool nerdy stuff that you can look into. She four very divine perspectives inspired by the Holy Spirit to help you understand the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ, okay, all these other different aspects. But Paul, he has his own gospel and this is probably the most complete and heavily theological uh, uh, epistle in the Bible, but this letter is also, it's important for you to think about, yeah, it's a, it's a letter that's written to the church in Rome. What's unique about this letter is that Paul had never been there. This is really the only letter that he wrote that he didn't know the people personally and had discipled them, but he wrote this letter to Rome and he always had this desire to go to Rome. And a lot of people didn't understand what was going on inside of his heart, even when he had this prophetic word where they bound his hands and they said, if you go, you're going and you're going to your death. That's really when he got to go see them. You know that? He longed to see them, but, but he didn't get a chance to go until then. But this is really Paul's gospel because Paul didn't get a walk with Jesus. He saw him from afar, but he was a Pharisee and he thought, he thought it was blasphemous that Jesus said he was the son of God and all this stuff. He wasn't even a believer until later. But the gospel that Paul learned was purely inspired by the spirit of God. And, and so it's a unique gospel that we're about to read and we're gonna study. And it's probably why it's so powerful because Paul had this very 
amazing encounter, encounters over and over again of revelations. And he said he was literally taken to heaven to spend time with Jesus. That sounds pretty sweet. But that was his specific assignment and call before God. And the Holy Spirit really wanted Paul to understand very, very well what the new covenant purchased by Jesus was really all about. And so we get to see that so powerfully in the whole book of Romans. But I want you to think about the book of Romans maybe even more than just a letter. But it's Paul's gospel or good news about Jesus inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can you do that with me? If you can, say yes. Yes. Beautiful. It says this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ. What an interesting word, a slave of Christ. This word really means bond servant. Or if you really break it down, it's kind of weird to say it like this, love slave. Ooh. <laughs> Watch out now. He's a slave to the love of God. He's bound to the love of God. In fact, it drives him so much, it's not because someone's commanding him, it's because of, of, of his choice that he's so in love with what God is doing, his heart is knit to it as a slave. That when you're a slave, your master, you do everything that's in your master's will. And that's why he uses such strong language, is that he's, when we think of servant, it's not quite as much as strong as when we say slave, is it? So it's really slave, but it's also servant, and it's really bond servant. It's all of those things. But his love is what was so violent going on in his heart to just pursue and be submitted to the will of God. And see, this is one of the things that I believe we need, is we need this bond slave or love slave type heart in, in, going on inside of us. It's like, God, I actually don't have options. It's your will or nothing. But, but we do treat church and serving God sometimes kind of like a club that we get to check in and check out. Well, sometimes I want to go to the East Club, Alaska Club. Now nah, I'm at Body Renew. We just change clubs, shifting clubs whenever we want. Or shifting callings, like, well, I, I just I kind of want to do this, so I kind of don't now. We don't treat it like, no, God, you know what? When Jesus said to his disciples, he's like, do you guys want to leave me too? And they're like, where would we go? You have, the words of you have the words of life, eternal life. What else is there? It's like, there isn't anything else. There's nothing better out there. The grass is not greener anywhere. The pasture on the side of where Christ is and the will of God for you is the richest, most lush life you could possibly live. But we've got to give it all the way over. We've got to sell out. Paul had this mindset. He was totally sold out as a servant or a love slave to God. But then he also says chosen or called. This word is a really cool word and it actually has a third meaning to it, which is invited into. How sweet is that? Okay, so it, some of these words, and, and we like to do this the Greek and the Roman type thought is very dualistic and you think about their gods, they separated every god into every type of thing they could possibly do. So all the cool things that they thought should be going on and someone should be managing, they created a god for it. And they made a statue and they gave them special abilities, right, superpowers. And, and, and they like to do that with all kinds of thought. And this is where James, in the book of James, he's dealing with dualism here in the thought of like it's faith and works and people are separating faith and they're separating works. And they're like, oh, it's faith and works. And he's like, no, 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 faith is works. It's one thing. You can't separate those two things. You believe, therefore you do. And he's like trying to mash these things back together. 
Same within this concept here, to be called, to be chosen, is also to be invited. It's all of them at the same time. Isn't this cool? Because think about this. Like a lot of us, we like to get invited, don't we? Oh man, you love to be invited to that wedding. Right? You get the invitation. Well, some of you do. Maybe some of you don't. You're like, really? (laughs) No man, you got me wrong. (laughs) I don't like to be invited to the wedding. But you get invited to the party, the wedding, whatever it is. And on the front side of it, you're like, yes, I'm accepting that invitation. You RSVP. But you know what happens so many times as we get called or chosen to be called to the banquet? Come on, Jesus, he he had a banquet and he sent out, he sent out invitations and many people, they're like either, yeah, I'm coming, but then they never show up. So here's the thing, you're chosen when you show up. When you show up to the banquet, you show up to the wedding. But you know what happens is so many times on the front side of whatever we're invited into, oh, the call sounds so glorious. The invitation sounds so amazing. But when it comes down to it, and it's time to like get up and get your suit on and get dressed, and then like you gotta go buy a gift because you didn't think about it soon enough, and then you gotta write a card, and your handwriting is all messed up because you're driving in the car, and you get to the wedding. (laughs) And you're thinking about all that stuff, and you're going like, man, I mean, The Seahawks are on television right now. (laughs) There's something else in your way. See, in the moment, the invitation sounds great, but when it comes down to when the sacrifice needs to be made, we kind of like lots of times don't want to show up. We'd rather just do whatever we feel like doing in the moment. Am I right? Yeah. We're all real people. I'm the one that's probably done it more than all of you. I go to lots of weddings. (laughs) you know we have to accept this call this chosenness this invitation with this bond servant this love slave kind of feeling in our heart dedication in our heart like god whatever it takes your will not my will sound like jesus sounds like him in the garden doesn't it god this is hard he's like father this is hard when it came down to it it was really hard for him And he was wrestling and he was in prayer and he's like, I'm giving it up for you, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to the cross for all my people. So when it comes down to it, church, serving God, it's spelled W-O-R-K. Sacrifice, if I could spell that really fast, I'd do it. (laughs) But how? See, Paul understood how he would sacrifice, how he would give up, how he would work for God. But one of the things he understood is that he was called, chosen by God to be an apostle, but also to be set apart. He was set apart, made special, actually. This word, sometimes we say set apart, like you're set apart from something, taken away from something, but this word is actually to be set apart onto something. Like he was actually cut apart, set apart to do something special for God and placed into his calling. Not set apart outside of. You know, you were designed special. Called, invited, you're called, you are invited right now into a special calling that's graced and gifted by God. Shaped specifically, you're set aside for a tremendous work for him. What is that? What is it? No one is excluded. 
all of God's people, Paul lays out the front side of his message, even his introduction. He's like wanting people to get, look, this is how you need to see yourself. It's how I see myself. It's how you need to see yourself. You're a servant, a love slave, called, chosen, invited, and called and set apart for a special work. See, like the Nazarite vow was one of these kind of vows and not everybody had to take, but people took themselves and they set themselves aside and they didn't shave and they didn't clip their fingernails or drink wine or eat all different things, right? Couldn't touch anything dead. So they would have a special anointing for God. Samson did this and you saw him compromise all the time, right? But it's the same kind of thing. He's like, he wasn't the best example. (laughs) Don't be like Samson. But what are you setting yourself apart for? Well, Paul set his life aside for the gospel of God. The gospel, simply for the gospel. He took his life, and the gospel means good news, and he sowed his whole life to the will of God to spread the good news. He was completely set apart just to spread this. And that is really literally what gospel means, is good news. He uses this term over 70 times in his writings. The good news, different forms of the good news. Paul referenced the gospel in different ways, but they all mean good news, bringing the good news of Christ to man. The gospel of God, Romans 1.1, the gospel of his son, Romans 1.9, the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16. He goes on to say his gospel, right? But you know what? Outside of the gospel, it's bad news. We're like, what's this good news? Everything else is bad news. It's bad news for mankind. Wait till you hear Mark's message next week. (laughs) It's good news that separates us. Now listen, I, I had this time, one of the most beautiful times that I was ministering to somebody, it just sticks out to me. And I know they're all amazing, but there's this one time when I was in youth ministry, and I was kind of far along in my youth ministry years, you know, it's getting a little long in the youth ministry tooth, as they say. And I'm ministering to this gal, this, she comes up to the altar, and she's all emotional, I'm doing an altar call, salvation, she's like, I'm like, listen, do you, I just felt led, you know, do you know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Every single one of us, even me. We've all missed the mark. She's like, yeah, you know the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. She's looking at me like, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, it was heavy and serious. And it's like, how are you gonna pay for that? Like, wouldn't a good judge, like people would pay for their sin? Yeah, that's true. Okay, but how are you gonna pay for yours? She's like, I don't know. Guess what? Jesus became the payment for you. He became the payment for you because you couldn't pay it for yourself. So he took sin on himself. Even though he was blameless, he became sin for you. And he paid for it all for you. And I said, all that Jesus needs from you is to believe in him that he's God and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. I go, is that good news? And she goes, tears running out of her face. That's really good news. That's good news. It clicked for me right in that moment. I kind of always wondered, I, I sort of didn't really get the good news, and I'd be like, well, good news, you know. It's like, it's good news, because everything outside of it is death, separation, loss. 
right? So good. You and I get to carry the good news. If you're wondering what your calling is before God, what your calling might be, there's all kinds of gifts that you can have, but all of you, all of you are called to carry the gospel, the good news to those around you. That's your first assignment. You just got a first homework assignment from Jesus. Do your homework. All right? Do some homework this week. You know you have a call. You have a shape. You have a place. And God's calling you into that space. And he wants you to take up that assignment that you were chosen for. But you're only chosen when you show up to the event. Right? Because you're invited. But you're also chosen and called. And set apart. But it's for the gospel. Verse 2. God promised this good news long ago through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is so amazing. And this is one of the reasons why we want to read every verse in Romans. This is a cool passage that you and I could just skip past. But he's like wanting to lay a foundation here because of the gospel and the call that you and I have. It didn't just start right now because he's talking to Gentiles. He's like, I want you to get, like God chose a holy people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, and, and he did a work through them. And in fact, their whole life story as they went in and out of all these circumstances, they prophesied, they did all kinds of crazy things. It was always telling the story of the gospel. It was always telling the story of what's happening right now in and through your life. And they all longed, Hebrews says in 11, chapter 11, to see these things. They all died in the midst of this space, wanting to be a part of what we experience today. But we have to understand it didn't just start with us. Like, let's look at a few of the things here, just really quick. As we see, the gospel was foreshadowed. There's all kinds of foreshadowing, types, prophecies, symbols, promises that manifest the revelation of Christ, the coming Messiah, the good news. We see it was foreshadowed in the offering of Isaac on the mount where Abraham is promised in Genesis 15 that he's going to have a son and it's going to like blow up and be the children of God as the sand in the seashore and the stars in the skies. And then God tells him, go kill your firstborn kid. He's like, I don't got any more. He goes to do it. God stops his hand. He provides a lamb of all things and the sacrifice made, he said, listen, God says on the mountain to Abraham, I'm going to make this sacrifice you don't have to. Foreshadowing, come on, foreshadowing of Jesus. Most people believe that's the exact same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. Yep, I'm not an archaeologist, but that's what I understand. Come on, God's a God of purpose. We see God in the, gospel, in the Gospels foreshadowed with the first Passover. The, 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 the Israelites coming out of Egypt and, and, and they're out, you know, in there, and God just keeps hammering Pharaoh with all these plagues and stuff, and the last one is he's sending the death angel, and he says, listen, I want you to sacrifice a lamb, and spread the lamb's blood on the doorpost, and then, because of the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you, and you will not die, but you'll have life. You're telling me that's not Jesus. That is Jesus. Tell him the lamb of God's gonna pass over your sin, and you can have new life in him. We also see the Gospels, uh, the gospel was prophesied in David, Psalms 22. I really want to read this to you, but there's no way I can get to it. You should read Psalms 22. Read Isaiah 53. Just do it. It'll blow your mind. It's like the heart of what Jesus was experiencing on the cross prophesied many, many, many years before. And even in Isaiah prophesied what would actually happen. It's crazy. 
But all of this is to prove to us there's more to the story. God's been building this and it's, it's ramping up to this final revelation of the good news happening in and through your life. Verse three, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God. When he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Jesus Christ our Lord. There's so much going on in here. But we see that he's born into the line of David. He, he was born of a virgin birth, but it was a natural birth, and he actually was born into the line of David, so he is a full man. It speaks of his, like, humanity. And in Philippians chapter 2, 6, it says that he gave up all these rights so that he could be stripped back so he could come in. He was a pre-existing God, right? Pre-incarnate God. And he came into the body of us, humbled himself, became a man, so that we could have life. So it speaks to that, born in the line of David, but he was also the son of God, which freaks everybody out in the Jewish community before, right, okay? So the fact that they said he's the son of God meant they believed he was equal to God. He was God. That speaks to his deity. Fully God, fully man. They call him the God-man. We call him the God-man, not just they. We call him that, right? This, this is important. He's laying some really, really important theological groundwork that we have to understand that he's fully God, fully man. And even more, which even ticked him off more, other Pharisees and stuff, Mark was talking about this last week, is that Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. Christ came to live inside of us? That's total blasphemy. To imagine that he was coming to live inside of us. Nobody expected this. Nobody expected that the good news would really mean that he came to not only save you and pay for your sin, but he was really gonna be God, fully man, die and be resurrected for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a wimpy kind of power. It was the dunamis kind of power that does miracles, that changes lives, that changes all circumstances, and that lives inside of you and I. It's the hope of glory. It was all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse five, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority or grace as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey and bring glory to his name. See, there's a focus here that all the time in Paul's life is he's leading people to Jesus and telling them the good news, but he understood where his power came from. His authority and privilege as an apostle was out of the grace, which means actually grace gift. To be an apostle means actually a grace gift to be a messenger for God. Do you know that you and I, when we have a calling and a position in Christ and we're shaped and set aside for something, it's, it's to do something. <laughs> and that something to be done is out of a grace gift. It's not just out of your own works, it's by your grace, the grace of God that we do and move and do all these things. Paul understood this. So you and I need to see this calling. We need to understand what we're set aside to do and how it works. It's not from your power. It's not from your willpower. It's by his grace moving through your life in the gift he actually shaped you for. And it's always gonna be about obeying him and bringing glory to his name. Isn't that beautiful? Verse six, and you were included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is what I was referring to earlier. You were called to belong to Jesus Christ, not just to be a part of his club, but to be his possession. If you're the possession in these words, I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. Wow. 
You are set aside to belong and to be a part of his family. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Do you hear he doesn't want you like to be striving in frustration? Oh, may the God of striving and frustration fill your heart. <laughs> Works and, you know, whipping yourself when you feel shame because you didn't measure up. Like, how many of us kind of live that way? It's like, man, he's just, just hammering this in here. It's the gospel of peace and grace by his power. You belong. You're fit in. Let, verse 8, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. I love this, that these people that he hasn't met yet have such a powerful reputation in their faith for God that he knows about it. It's like, it, it affects other people in, in outlying regions and they don't have YouTube and Facebook back then. We're like watching you like get up and talk about your church or whatever. It was so powerful that the news about who they were and their reputation was so strong. What do people say about us? What do they say about you? You know, actually, the people that I meet say good things, which is cool, because I'm really proud of all of you, of how you represent Jesus and especially the love of God in your life. Man, if there's one area we could thrive in and just be rock stars in, how about just the love of God? They just go, oh man, I don't know about all the other things that church does. Like they're wild out their youth groups, man. Their youth camps are crazy. You see how we lit the bonfire? You're like, <laughs> boundaries. Somebody put some safety glasses on. Nobody got hurt in the making of that bonfire. But you're like, man, do they love kids? Man, do they love people? How about that? Man, their faith is so great. They work hard for Jesus. The grace of God pours out. They live a light and easy life in Christ. They obey their calling. They walk in their calling. But it's not a burden. It's fun. That church has fun. And I want, I, I want to be remembered for those things. I want our church to be remembered for those things. And I love how Paul's just got this heart of prayer and connection with his people. He's just like, man, I'm just praying for you day and night. we got to ramp up our prayer life, not so we can measure up, because we want to see more. And he's just praying for them. He knows their needs, and he prays for them. One of the things we have to do is get out of our space and know people's needs. So we can pray for them. And then we get on our knees before God and say, God, move in their life. Move, do something in them. Light them on fire. Let them be effective for you. Verse 10, one of the things that I always pray is for the opportunity, God willing, to come and see you at last. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. This word strong means to be set in, in a certain position or direction. It's like, locked in like I'm putting you on the roller coaster you're getting on that sucker you're going to the end you're locked in he's about to get their feet on firm foundation but this is so cool because I think this is how leadership should be and Paul really really uh like identifies and he lives his life this way you can see it when you slow down and you read in the in the scripture and you don't think about him 
kind of in a stereotype of how, how we think about apostle-type leadership. He says, but when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Paul had humility. He had power and authority and the gift of the calling was set apart for it, but he also had humility. See, like, we need to be like friends. And when we get together and you hang with people in leadership, you should feel like equal. At the same time, you go, I know what authority you're carrying, and I want what you have. So I'm in alignment, I'm in submission, but we're also friends. And I have something to offer you, and you have something to offer me. And as leaders, we're like, the second anyone becomes an expert, they stop growing. Your growth has stopped, because you already know it all. But Paul never did that. This, is, this guy is a beast with Jesus. I mean, he is a, he's a monster in the kingdom of God. And he's like, man, I can't wait to show up to see what I can learn from you and what God's doing in your life. Man, can we all have that kind of humility? We never see that as we become elevated with responsibility that we get elevated in our minds, our pride. And then we squeeze off all of our potential for growth and we cut off our influence and guess what happens? God resists the proud. Actually, he tumbles the proud down. He kicks the stool out from under him. Zero on the fun scale for everybody, by the way, if you're wondering. <laughs> Verse 13, I want you to know, know, intimately know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I've seen in the other Gentiles. Paul's not a codependent leader. See this, that Paul is okay with telling them, I want to come, but I couldn't. He understood his limits. He didn't just go because he knew they wanted him to come and he wanted to come. He wanted to be important to them because sometimes as leaders, we want to be needed. We actually, if it gets bad, we become codependent. I need to be needed. I'm not okay if I'm not needed. And so any request that comes, we just have to do it all. That's not healthy leadership. As Christians, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to do it all. You need to do your assignment. And he knew his assignment because he knew Jesus and he spent time in prayer. So he prayed for them, even though his heart longed to be there. He eventually got to go there, and when he went, he died. And he wrote most of the Gospels, most of the things he wrote was there when he was in prison. It's powerful. But each one of us has to understand that we cannot do it all. There are limits, and there's no excuse to being burned out as a Christian. Now, now you can be, and you need to accept it, and you got to work through it, but the... But there's only one place to look, and that's back in the mirror at ourselves when we've allowed ourselves through an oversense of responsibility to do more than we're being asked and assigned to or invited into, called by God to do. That's when we move into burnout because we walk outside the grace of God. No indictment, but what happens is when we get burned out, we start pointing fingers at pastors and get mad at churches and get mad at you. I went to go visit you, and now I'm all burned out. You're like, well, why'd you do that? Because I thought I had to. You said I had to. I'm like, I never said you had to go. I just said, can you go? And you said yes, but you should have said no. <laughs> I can't go. <laughs> hey, listen, I've lived this dream. I'm telling you, I've done this over and over again. And you have to learn how to manage that and say, God, I can't be everything. This is why he gave us a Sabbath, a day of rest. 
so he can prove to us that the day of rest is not so you can measure up to God. He says, it's not for you. It's not for me, actually. The day of rest isn't so you can please me. It's because you need one. There's a limit to who you are. Verse 14, I have great sense of obligation to people in both civilized world and then also in Nikiski. <laughs> to the educated and the people, no, that's so mean. I'm from Nikiski, if you don't know. Okay, and the uneducated alike, all those in Nikiski, you know I love you. Most of you are smarter than me. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to, to preach the good news. Man, he just, he just didn't care what class you were. He had an obligation, a calling. He's just going for it. Verse 16, and this is really the essence of all of Romans, okay? All of Romans just hangs on this passage here, verse 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. This power is this resurrection power on assignment. This resurrection power is this word called dunamis that lifted Christ up out of the grave. It's the thing that does the miracle working in everybody's life. Look, we're at camp. We're breaking kids, man. They're jumping off stuff, doing wild things. We're like, slow down. Kids are spraining ankles. This one kid sprains his ankle really bad. He's on crutches. I mean, it's like swollen up all this stuff. Melissa's leading worship. And she gets an assignment from God. I, I was watching her and I could see her. She's like. <laughs> she stops leading worship. It didn't look so silly. She looked more majestic. More Catherine Coleman-esque. And she walks down. And I was like, oh man, that dude's about to get rocked by Jesus. That's what I was thinking. And we're just in the pre-service -pre prayer time. And she steps up and somebody else is taking over for worship or whatever. And then she starts praying for him. And then all of a sudden I'm watching this kid who's on crutches start to get up on his leg, his foot, that's like messed up. And he gets healed. And from that time he just put his crutches back and he's walking around like normal. That's dunamis resurrection power. That's not... That's not Melissa bicep power. She's got sweet forearms, but those forearms, there they are, those forearms cannot resurrect someone from the dead. But the dunamis power of the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit can. And that's what you carry. You and I are called to this invitation. Will you accept? And then will you show up to the call, the invitation? Will you do it? Because when it comes down to it, there's a sacrifice that's gonna need to be made. And you'll have to make it. And you'll have to lay other things down so that you can do the work and the assignment that God's given you. But are you willing? And it says by faith, not by works. It's through faith that a righteous person has life. But just before that, it says that it's accomplished from start to finish by faith. So many times we like struggle with it, even we can start by faith. You're like, really? I don't have to do anything? No, they said that's too easy. Actually, you could never do the other plan, which is really, really hard. In fact, impossible. Thank God it's so easy. By his grace, we've been saved, not by your works. Ephesians 2. And you know what? You're finished by faith. You go into eternity in the fullness of God's presence by the same faith, not by your works. So many times you're like, oh, I'm so afraid that if I don't do the works just right or live just right, that I'm not gonna make it. It's not by your works. And you know the part we struggle with the most though is the part in the middle is when we're running the race. This is, I run more like this. 
I'm very hippie when I run. It's that part in the middle that we really struggle with. We just want to do it. And we want to burn out. We want to feel like we really did something hard. God's like, I did the hard stuff. I want you to do the assignment I called and invited you into and shaped you and set you aside to place you in to preach the gospel, the good news. I want you to do that, and that's going to be fun. That's going to be light and easy. That's going to be overcoming all these terrible things that are going to happen in and around your life. You're going to overcome those with peace that passes all understanding. You're going to be able to experience the joy of the Lord even in suffering. Say, what? There's hope in my suffering? Somehow I thank God of this crazy loop of things that happen in my life when bad stuff happens and I'm struggling and God gets me through it. I become more like Him and I go, how did that happen? And somehow as we look back on my life, I go, I'm kind of glad that happened because I wouldn't have this in here. I wouldn't be like this with Jesus, this belonging and knowing if I didn't have that. It's crazy. God wins all the time. But will you accept the call and the assignment? Will you keep your heart and mind focused on the fact that it's by His righteousness, His faith, His grace alone that you can live this kind of life? And will we keep our mind and eyes and heart on the prize? The prize is people that don't know Him yet. It's the family. That's the prize is growing the family of God. Not just making our church bigger. It's actually growing the family of God. People being introduced for the first time to Jesus. That's the good news. They don't have to live in shame and darkness and separation. They get to live in the power of God's light and love inside of them. They get a calling. They get a purpose. They get set aside. They get fitted in and fashioned in because you were willing to go tell them. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? If there's anybody here today, say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I feel it. I don't want to be separated from God anymore. You either want to give your heart back to Jesus and turn back to him, or for the first time, you want to allow Jesus to come into your life and save you. I just want to pray over you. If you would, if just with faith, we're going to close here in just a minute, but just turn your hands up to heaven and just as a sign of faith, if you can, or you're willing. And I want to pray a blessing. Like, God, I want to accept the assignment of my life. Come on, you want to accept the assignment of your life. You need the grace of God. And it's a turning over of your heart. So God, right now, I turn over my heart to you. I give up my will, and I just submit to your will for my life. God, I want your power, your will flowing in and through my life. God, I'm asking for the anointing, the gifting, the gracing to pour out in power over me so I can do the assignment to bring the good news in the way you've called me to do it by the grace gift you've given me. Oh, in Jesus' name, do it to me. Fill me up right now. Pour out your spirit on me, God. Let's pray for just an increase of awareness of your presence in my life. An increase of the power, the dunamis power of your spirit flowing through me, God. Let your love ignite my heart to do a great work for you as a bond servant, God. Set aside, called, and invited to this journey of spreading the good news. Your gospel is power. It changes everything around me. I want to go in power, not in weakness, not just in word, but in power. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, Jesus. God bless your church. Move on them in strength, Lord. I pray for miracles this week, salvations this week, healings this week, restoration this week, repairing relationships between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, daughters and sons. God, just repair. Pray for honor. Pray for just love to just flow in every context of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.